Hi, everyone. Welcome to Episode 4 of the Life Talk Podcast, sponsored by Life Culture Canada. I'm your host, Susan Penner. In today's episode, I will be talking to Trish Braun about adoption. Trish and her husband, Mike, have adopted six children from Ukraine. Trish shares what led to their decision to adopt, what the process was like, and the realities of parenting children who got their start in another country and culture, and what we can do to help Ukrainian orphans. Hi, Trish. Thank you so much for being here. I imagine life as a mother of eight is very hectic for you now. (laughs) Well, I started the day with um, craft dinner and chocolate cake for breakfast, so that probably says something. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Whatever you got to do to get through. (laughs) Um, I wanted to have you on this podcast to talk about adoption. Can you tell us a bit about your journey in terms of what led you and Mike to adopt? Was this something you had always wanted to do? And why did you adopt from Ukraine? So, wow, that's a a long story and a long question. We, uh, my husband and I, prior to, I would say 2017, we started taking a look at our family. We had two boys and realized they were living quite a privileged life. Not that that's a bad thing, but we started feeling a little convicted that that maybe wasn't super aligned with scripture and what we felt as Christians. So um, it took a few months of wrestling about it and trying to think about what we wanted to do about it. And suddenly, you know, each of us individually felt this strong pull that maybe adoption. Adoption, like, is just a very general, right, idea. But uh, eventually, you know, you do enough research and you start looking around and you start... Uh, talking to people, and uh, we we visited agencies. We talked to different families who had gone through it, and decided that yeah, this was this was the course for us. And I really thought that we would end up going to Haiti. Um, in my heart, I thought I'm going to Haiti because I speak French, and wouldn't that be handy to be able to speak the same language as the kids you're going to adopt? Uh, and uh, we went to some agencies, and I drove away from the agencies that same day. And I kind of shook my head and I looked to my husband and I said, do you know where we're going? And he said, I do. I'm just waiting for you to tell me the same thing. And I said, really? And, um, and I said, I think we're going to Ukraine. And he said, oh yeah, I know. I know all along we we're going to Ukraine. So that was a surprise to me. It wasn't apparently to him, but uh, we had some friends that have been to Ukraine and adopted a few years prior to that. Um, and we knew their story. We knew some of the needs from Ukraine. And what we've learned, it doesn't take long. If if anyone's interested, you go online and in five minutes, you can hear about all the stats about the orphanages in Ukraine, over 110,000 kids that are registered, uh, that need homes, that need families, that are in orphanages there, in orphanages there, 750 at least orphanages. And the outcome for these kids is just dismal and to no fault of their own, right? There's, they've done nothing to be there. Uh, and so we thought that's that's where we needed to go. We had no ties to Ukraine, really, that we knew of. Uh, in the years since, we've learned that there's some background, family background that has connected us to Ukraine. But at the time, we didn't know. So we came home with our first set of siblings in 2019. Uh, they were 11, 8, and 5 at the time. So they were little guys, um, and they've adjusted really well to being home. 
this last group of siblings that we just adopted, we got home three weeks ago from Ukraine in February of 2022, and they are 16, 10, and 6. So a very different age group, a 16-year-old who has family and friends and um, acquaintances and communities that are going through some pretty difficult stuff right now. So a very different experience uh, this time around, for sure. How soon were you out of there before the shelling started? Was that a close call? It was interesting how you were exactly there as mm-hmm. tensions were mounting. And I guess the world was beginning to hear about this. I'm just wondering what that situation was like for you being there during this period. Yeah, the process of adoption in Ukraine is a bit unique. And so there it took us three trips to finalize this adoption. And the third trip is when you get to take the kids out of the orphanage and get custody of them. I went alone without my husband because we have five kids at home and he has a business to run and things to do. So we thought, okay, I think I can manage. If the 16-year-old is on my side, I can do this. And if if it's terrible and if it's difficult, then I'll call him and he'll come and meet me there. But uh, we didn't expect the escalation to happen as quickly as it did in Ukraine with Russia. So when I, I got custody of the children and had them living with me for about a month, and it was a Monday morning and I got a phone call to say, um, you have an hour to pack everything that you have and your kids and there's going to be a car outside the door to pick you up. And I said, well, why? Because we still have like three weeks left. I knew we had three weeks left in the process. And they said, no, we need to get you out today. We have pass- We have a call for your passports to be done and we need to find you an embassy or a consular service to get you some visas. We need you guys out of the country, either through Romania, through Moldova, or into Poland within the day. And I thought that was not what I felt on the ground. On the ground, it felt very normal. So I was a little surprised to hear that, but looking backwards now, obviously, um, the day after we left Ukraine was the day the shelling started in the east of the country. So. There was no doubt we should not have been able to get out. We should not have gotten our paperwork. We literally had three weeks left of visas and all the things that take certain amounts of time that always take the same amount of time. We got done within hours, which normally takes uh, weeks. So there's no question in our mind that uh, the Lord wanted us out as much as all my family and friends did here. So <laughs> I was very happy to be able to get our COVID tests and our flight tickets and um, and get on our way home. That's for sure. That's just actually incredible to think about that it was that close. Yeah. Yeah. That certainly is divine intervention. Yeah. You know, you feel this extreme gratitude, right? I know how many people were were praying for us and fighting for us to get home. And, um, but you also feel this sense of guilt because I know so many families that are still fighting for their adopted kids. I know adoptive families that are in the country. I know ones who are mid-process, who now there's no courts available, who don't have the luxury of being able to pay to get their kids out or get visas because there's no consular services, right? So why did we get to come out and other families aren't, right? And I, I it's their stories to tell, so I won't share those, but there's just, it. it's atrocious. Yeah, it's scary and it's, terrible and yet you know that in the end uh we'll see we'll see where where adoptions go in that country and we'll see where the lord leads the ukrainian people but we certainly are it's heavy on our hearts for sure oh yeah i can't imagine because you've already now you've spent so much time there you've built relationships yourself yeah Um, i understand you're connected to a church there as well 
So the first trip we made in 2019, we were in the city where the orphanage is for about five or six weeks, going to the orphanage every day, meeting the kids. And so you get into a bit of a routine, but we're not working, right? So, and I didn't have my other kids with me and you're in a foreign country and there's a lot of hours in a day that you don't have things to do. And I'm used to being very, very busy. So I did what, you know, most middle-aged women would do is put a post on Facebook and say, hey, anyone know of a church connected to this area? And wouldn't you know, someone from Alabama sends me a message. I get connected to these who are now my my very favorite people in the world, um, best friends in Ukraine who are leaders of a church, who are deacons in the church. We start attending there and meet just their entire community. And we have been in homes having shared meals with so many families, um, help build a church. They were in the process of a building project when we got there the first time. So the second trip, we got to see it to completion, which was a miracle in itself. Would you believe we they had, so the, the week we left, that next Sunday was their first service that they had in the new building. That was the only service they were able to have before this broke out. And it has now become, the church has now become really more of a um, community center. It's a food bank. It's a prayer hall. Um, it's just this huge beacon. It's, it's this big white building that just stands out in the community. And they've have hundreds of people that they've never even seen before come through the doors each day. So it was done just in time. Just in That's time. That's incredible yeah. to hear those stories, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because the thing is that lots of the, um, the women and the children have evacuated from that area. Um, the men who are between 18 and 16 haven't been allowed to leave, right? So uh, a lot of the men are still back, but they don't have jobs anymore. So they're, they're running out of food and they're running out of supplies and water. And, and the families that are still there uh, don't have any of those things either. And the ones who don't have the money to leave, even if it's just a train ride or a bus ride, or they just don't have the means to do that. So It's hard to even process or fathom. Yeah. The destruction and devastation. Wow. Okay. So I just wanted to go back a little bit to the whole adoption mm-hmm. topic. You know, I know a lot of people consider adoption. Honestly, lots of people contact me here, you know, because we work with uh, pregnant women at times who are wondering what to do with their pregnancy, those types of things. So I get lots of contacts from people, you know, we want to adopt, we want to adopt. Uh, so people often want to adopt infants, which are hard to get. But I know lots of people who do want to adopt internationally, but then they just get so overwhelmed by the cost, the red tape, the travel. So I just yeah. wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, since you've been through the process, what would you say to people who are considering it, but just kind of feel like this is beyond our our ability and means? Well, it it might be. <laughs> it might be beyond it. I mean, bureaucracy, government bureaucracy is is everywhere, right? So as slow as things go, um, when you get started on paperwork here, it's twice as slow everywhere else. But you have to just consider what the end goal is. And for us, each time, uh, it was about, it's always about the kids. And so your eyes just stay focused on that. And all the steps in between to get there and all the windingness um, and all the costs and all the stress, uh, it's worth it. It's always worth it. When you get the kids home and you're in your home and you know the opportunities that they have, 
uh, and just as a family, how you can grow, it's always worth it. So to those considering it, I always say, I mean, go in with your eyes open because it's not, it's not a fairy tale <laughs> and it's hard and every day is stressful beyond, um, I don't know, this, this last trip was, was incredibly stressful, obviously, but, um, but when you keep reminding yourself of why you're doing it, it's just, it's always about the why. Okay, I love that. Hmm. Um, I have a couple of questions, actually. Um, do you think certain people are called to adopt, or do you think it is something Christians in general should be doing as a part of our calling? Because, you know, sometimes people are like, well, we're praying. We're praying for what we should do. We're mm -hmm. praying if this is what God wants, which is good. But sometimes I think, well, we don't need to pray about things like adoption. We know it's good. We know we're supposed to take care of the orphans or, or whatever it may be. So what are your, your thoughts on that? Do you believe people are called to it or do you believe, no, it's actually a step of obedience? Right. So we're all called to take care of the orphans and the widows. That's clear from scripture. I think that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're called to have orphans in your home, everybody, but it certainly means you need to find a way to take care of orphans and widows. So in that way, it, your age, your income, your health, lots of things are factors that are legitimate factors of why maybe you can't be raising orphans in your home. But I always say there's something you can, everyone can do. So I know this sounds self-serving. It's not, I promise it's not for my sake, but if you look around your community, there are foster families and adoptive families all over the place and they need support. And they, it's very lonely. Um, the first couple of weeks when you get a new child home, it's people are celebrating, they're excited, they bring food and they bring meals and they're so excited for you. And they think that's when the hard work is over, but it's not, it, it gets harder actually, as the kids feel more comfortable and safer in their space, that's when the behaviors get difficult. And that's when things feel very lonely as parents. So I would just say for those who are um, not sure how they can offer support, just make phone calls or drop off food anytime or you know bring a favorite chocolate bar to somebody um support a family adopt a family that is a foster family if you aren't going to adopt yourself like that's amazing we can all do we can all do right. something to support we can be caregivers to the caregivers in yes. a way yes well and and i'll say they they need caregiving also <laughs> so it takes a village like that is not just a saying it really does to be able to to offer uh, everything that these kids need. These kids have been through um, extreme trauma, right? And when you think of the foster care system, even here, and you think of what some of our kids have gone through internationally to be able to get to the point where they're at, they've been through some extreme trauma in their very short lives, and they need a lot of healing, and they need a lot of love surrounding them. And so that can come in just so many forms from people. And, you know, two people in a household as parents can't provide all those things. So we just love when families can show up and say, hey, like, do one of your kids want to come work on the car with me? Because he's kind of mechanical and I, I'm working on my car this afternoon and I know he might like that. Or, you know, we have grandparents who like working in their woodworking shop. And so we have a couple of kids that love doing that. So I can't do those things. I could care less about liking those things, but it's a great opportunity for our kids to build relationships with other people in the community and in our families and, and just to be loved on. I really love that. Like as a part of the work I do with life culture, as the name kind of explains, we want to create a culture of life. And it's those types of things that actually create a culture of life. It's not just, you know, 
hoping a woman keeps her baby or telling her to keep her baby. It's the whole society if you know, if we, how do we promote a culture of life and stepping in and uh, doing exactly the types of things you say. Um, that does create that. That does create that environment that makes it favorable for families to adopt or to have kids, those types of things, because they're not on their own. And I think we live in such an individualistic culture that it's almost frowned upon if we if we need help, Absolutely. so to speak. And I just, you know, that's just so counterintuitive to how we're actually supposed to live. It's okay to need help, and we are supposed to help others, and we are supposed to ask for help. Yeah, I would say I would absolutely agree, but there's a point where... For for me as an adoptive mom, I'll have people say, how can I help? So many times. I, I want to help. How can I help? And because I'm also that very independent type, mm-hmm. I won't, I don't necessarily have an answer, actually. It's not that I don't need help. I just don't always even identify the things that can be helpful to my family and to my home. And so where I've really appreciated it is when people have just made the offer of something directly to say, hey, your kids have basketball practice after school with my kids can I drive your kids home after so that you don't have to get in the car and come to school to pick up your kids and those are things that it seems small but it's actually such a huge deal because I have you know seven other kids at home and so for me to make sure someone's watching them so I can go to the school to pick them up is is a lot of work and planning so for someone to offer that uh, without me specifically asking is has been just very encouraging I think that's a great point and I I know, let's say even personally, if somebody would ask me like, hey, do you need anything? No, I'm fine. And I've noticed that when I ask people, let me know if I can do something. They never take me up on it. So like you said, to just do something. Do something. Do something. Anything, right? Anything that you are already doing. So making cookies that day, make an extra batch, right? And drop them off. They will not be wasted. (laughs) Right? Those kinds of things just go go a long way. Just to know that... someone's caring that someone's paying attention and they know that you're there and they see you and they know what you're doing is a big deal yeah speaking of cookies (laughs) (laughs) first time i've used that segue (laughs) what is it the reality of cooking for so many people like because honestly i know for myself making school lunches oh or just thinking of things to make all the time so many meals the grocery shopping that is a huge undertaking what does that actually look like um, right now like. as a family of 10. Yeah. Like what does, how, like is that alone is a full-time job? Yeah. Well, thank goodness I'm off work for a little bit so I can get adjusted in my, okay. in my brain and my home. Uh, definitely, uh, you just need bigger pots, bigger pans, right? You, you're doing the same thing, but just at a much larger scale. But I feel like I'm always either at the grocery store or needing to go to the grocery store. You know, we did eight sets of lunches this morning for school. Well, that is, you know, you you need the whole counter, right, to be able to do your assembly line for sandwiches. And you just think of the cost of food right now, right? And you yeah. try to be realistic with what they need and what they want. And certainly right now, because we have kids that are new to Canada, their taste buds are not quite the same as ours. And so trying to be gentle about, like, not just forcing them to eat what the rest of the kids are eating, but give them something that they're, they get excited about too. So um, balancing all those things as I'm making meals uh, is has been interesting. I have a 16-year-old now who has eaten almost every meal of only craft dinner or grilled cheese, I think, since he's gotten home. So 
Um, I told them the other day, I said, if you're only going to eat two meals, I said, you're going to have to learn how to make them both. So he's started making his own. And I, it's not the war I'm going to have with him right now. And that will be something we'll cross to another day and we'll expand his taste buds one day. But yeah. but for now, we're just, you know, comfort is everything. So absolutely, we'll Like, yeah. you know, and for him, especially moving to a new country and culture, but also having family back in Ukraine with the uncertainty and what's going on there. I imagine that's very stressful. Yeah. And his, you know, his best, best friends that he has spent the last three years living with every day, doing life with, um, they're, they're not in a great place. And a lot of them are going to be called to join, to join the fight. So, uh, it's terrifying. He's 16 years old and, and he has grandparents and extended family still there and pets and all kinds of things. So, it's certainly heavy on him and he, uh, I wouldn't want to even cut him off from any of that. That communication is, is what gives him life still. So it's very real and there's lots of conversations that need to keep happening, which is difficult in its own way since our communication is, is um, always through a translator at this point, for the most part. I mean, the English is coming along, but for the most part, we still have to use Google Translate and other methods to be able to communicate Luckily, he's he's a good talker, so um, he's happy to be patient with <laughs> with all the tools that we need and the technology to be able to have a good conversation about things. So, it's um, having kids that don't speak English when they're going through such difficult times, and finding ways to communicate um, that that's meaningful uh, is definitely a challenge when when working with with newcomer kids for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean. There's lots of things when you, when you bring kids home from from trauma. Um, when you think of foster families and adoptive families, even locally, kids who experience a lot of trauma, we have. I wouldn't want to paint this as like perfect uh, experience, right? For everybody, this is not a rainbow and fairy tale kind of thing. Most of the time, we have, you know, big fits of rage, and we have difficulties um, with sleeping, and we have lots of big behavior issues with stealing and lying and um and now times six right we'll we'll be dealing with probably but uh and the language barrier obviously so it's hard it it's not easy work it is it is a job um all the time but but it's always worth it right it just like i said before we keep our eyes on the prize and the the goal is to for these kids' hearts to get healed and their minds to be healed and just to provide it a space that's safe for them to be able to go through all those big emotions that they've, you know, held in for so long and hopefully get them to a point where they can they can live a productive life and, and know that they are loved and cherished and, and accepted. So, You know, I was talking to um, a friend of mine. She grew up in a family where they had lot, lots of foster kids mm. that came in and out of the family. And one thing she said to me, too, is she said, like, what does success look like? So she said, like, success looks different for each person, however you want to define success. But, you know, being functional and, you know, healthy in society. But she said it looks different for each people because person because like she grew up with kids who had so much trauma and so mm. much difficulty and they're doing really well now for what they mm-hmm. are able to do for what they've all been through. So she said from her perspective, it's really um, important not to have the same benchmark 100%. for every child. 100%. And that kind of was news to me because we kind of expect, we have this cookie cutter, okay, 
now you're a success or this is successful. But when she said that to me, that really resonated in terms of, oh my goodness, like it looks different for everybody based on their experiences or where they've and come where from. where your starting point is, yeah. right? We don't all start at the same point. And so certainly we can't, our ending point is not at the same point either. So um, I would say when we have our two biological boys, I had a certain expectation, right? Especially in school, the bar was pretty high about what they can do academically and what they should be able to do. And in some of their sporting things and their music and all the other things that they're a part of. And I learned very quickly when our first batch of kids came that that can't be the same bar for everybody. I, it was, it was definitely um, very clear. One of our, our first daughters that joined our family, she had had zero schooling uh, before she joined the orphanage and she was 11 years old. So she had had maybe maximum one year of academics by the time she came to Canada. So she, on top of the fact that she didn't speak any English at that time, she also had, had only one year of school. So I can't expect that she's, she's the same age as one of our biological boys. Certainly I cannot expect that they're going to come home with the same grades and that they're going to do the same things academically in school. Even you know, how, how we treat her in terms of what she is able to do or not do, right? So you, you, you're just gentle. You have to be so much gentler to try and coax out because they have just their self-esteem is, they already feel like they've failed in life. So that takes a lot of rebuilding. And it puts in, a, we put in a lot of energy and stuff into just that, where there's small successes you really celebrate because to them, that's a big deal. And for us, it's a big deal once you see you know, what they aren't able to do, then you, you realize that those small things are huge for them. Right. Yeah. No, that's a great perspective, yeah. a realistic perspective. I know um, people can romanticize adoption, right? And sometimes, you know, couples do it for them. They want to have this family. Yes. They want to do this great thing. Your perspective, what I think is very clear here, is you're not doing it for for you, you're actually doing it for for the kids, and I and I do think there is a difference because you do hear of situations where couples adopt, and the reality is so different. Yes. Um, what they're expecting is totally different than what's realistic. So I think that's a it's a ministry in a way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, it is. I mean, I don't want to make kids projects. No, that's not what I I mean. No, um, but in terms of you're doing it for the kids. Hundred percent. Yeah. It, we met a family that is connected to the church in Ukraine. Uh, they actually have a house right beside the church and they have 13 foster kids in their home. And they're considered elders of the church and that is their ministry, that they take in orphans and, and they help raise these kids and give them a chance in a family that they wouldn't have. And that opened my eyes to, you know, we don't consider that really the same way, I think, in Canada, that that is really an outreach opportunity that many of us have. Like, that, that is available to us to be able to offer kids, um, whether it's through adoption or through fostering or, you know, sponsoring in other ways. But uh, it's definitely, um, it requires some effort early on in the adoption process to reach out to other families. And that was my lifeline, I think, um, right from the beginning is I was so curious and always wanted to hear from people who had gone through it already because I, I knew it wasn't going to be this easy road. And so through our adoption agency and then through other ways, you know, kind of just culminates. But we met so many families throughout 
Canada and America who have done, gone through this specifically through Ukraine, but other th- other countries as well. And you just ask a lot of questions, and that has become our lifeline, um, especially now through the war and um, supporting each other through these difficult months and weeks. That has been everything to us. And when you're in the middle of you know a fit of rage with one of your kids and there's walls getting kicked in and you know you're having these really difficult days and you hear from another mom and she says oh yeah you know what that actually happened to us a couple months back this is what we did with that and this is why it probably has come out here's something you can try that means everything i mean you're in that really dark moment you feel really alone that nobody else is going through that and um and yet there's hope, right? There's always hope. And so that has been so helpful to us. And I would say to anyone considering adoption also, just talk to people who've done it. It will open your eyes to, um, to the good and the bad. And all those things are important to know. Before we wrap it up, Trish, I just wanted to ask you, what are ways we can help? I guess specifically Ukraine now is obviously in the news and going mm-hmm. through a terrible crisis. Are there things we can do to help orphans there? right now or how can we help in the future do you have any insight on that because actually people want to help yeah but we just don't necessarily know how we can do that yeah and even us uh, who have connections on the ground it's it has not been easy even to get money into ukraine to individual people's hands they aren't able to take money out the atms are empty the banks are closed so even getting money there is difficult we have found other churches that have been supporting refugees in neighboring countries, which has actually been a really great thing. So Samaritan's Purse, for instance, has been doing a ton of work in Ukraine. And I would say that that would be a great resource and connect with them. They actually are setting up a hospital in Ukraine right now to be able to offer surgeries. For I mean, life goes on, right? So people are still getting sick. This, Regardless of the war, people are still having babies. Um, things need to keep rolling in that country. And so um, Samaritan's Purse definitely is on the ground there. That's a great resource to for people okay. to connect with. No, that's great. That is a great organization for sure. Thank you so much for coming, Trish. I know your time is precious and it is a very stressful time as well, both with having new kids at home and also what's going on, on in their home country. So I really appreciate that you take the time to come. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. Let's continue to hold Ukraine in our prayers and actively seek out ways we can help orphans in Ukraine, as well as support the adoptive families and foster families in our own community. 